Welcome to Foot Guns, home to the only hype-free investment-based crypto podcast. Satoshi Nakamoto said it was going to happen. You know, I want half a million dollars of exposure to it. Ethereum. And, you know, everybody that's trading this was doing what I was doing today. A 51% attack where the chain split into three different chains. All of a sudden, I have Ethereum in my MetaMask account. And so anything from a regulatory standpoint that stifles DeFi is bad to me. Welcome, everyone, to the Foot Guns Podcast. It is August 25th, 2021. I'm Boomer, the global micro discretionary trader, joined by everybody's favorite crypto bond villain, Hal, from a secret location in the Caribbean. Today, we're pleased to have our very first guest ever on the Foot Guns Podcast, and his name is Kento, or at least that's the name he goes by on the interwebs. Is that your name or is that your crypto name? Uh, it's my real name. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Cause it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people I think are trying to riff off of Satoshi, right? And, um, and sort of maintain, <laughs> you know, maintain an online presence that is sort of somewhat Japanese sounding, but it's not their real name. So. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm Japanese, so yeah, I, I, I guess, yeah, it makes sense, but yeah, I'm Japanese, so Kento is my real name. Okay, great. That's, 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 uh, that's fantastic. So you bought, uh, liquidity's NFTs. Is, <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> tell, tell us about yeah. what, what, what motivated that purchase and what your, what your view on NFTs are in, in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 Followed liquidity from a long time ago. Not on my. Uh, I actually follow uh, liquidity on my uh, crypto account too. But before that, uh, on my other account, um, I followed him, and you know, I'm, I was a fan of his memes and everything, and I really liked, um, you know, his tweets and everything. Um, and then I just randomly found his NFTs. I think uh, from a retweet from someone, and I, I thought it was just really funny. <laughs> um, you know, this, I, I think, you know, I just wanted to buy it because I was a fan. Um, and I started, and I started going to OpenSea and started bidding on his pieces. And I, I just, I just wanted to, to people who have not seen the NFTs, the one that's my favorite one is the, uh, invisible dank meme. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the, the reason that I like it the most is like, because, you know, what's kind of been going around, uh, in, in pop culture about NFTs is how they're just a JPEG, right? Like it's not, yeah. you're, you're not, you're not buying anything. So like in this case, like you literally bought a blank, yeah. <laughs> in a blank <laughs> JPEG. But, but the interesting part about to me is like, like for me, like what you purchased was like a part of the liquidity um, meme, right? Like a, a part of the liquidity yeah. market for the uh, the brand, right? Yeah, it's basically the story, the irony that is funny, and um, it makes sense, I think, because it's this is I think this is liquidity's first meme, I think, uh, not first meme, but the first NFT, I think. Right, I think it was um, the first one that he created, yeah. You know, I, I think I got it for a steal because I got it for like 0.2 ETH. Um, but like, if li like, I think a lot of people in crypto don't know liquidity that much yet. But you're, um, liquidity is obviously very uh, famous, popular in Wall Street um, Twitter. 
basically. Right, right. Um, and there's been a a lot of chatter. Rec- I mean, you know, like CNBC this morning, they're like talking about ether rocks, right? And uh, oh yeah. There- there's this this news that came out um what was it just yesterday that visa bought a crypto punk right so it's starting to like sort of hit this mainstream investing world so yeah i i personally i i think the liquidity nfts will, will do great like um in this mania that's going on right now yeah i think like once like finance people start finding out nfts they will be attracted to liquidity's meme um liquidity's uh, nfts and I think it will increase in value by a ton, actually. Um, and I think like crypto people don't know liquidity, which is why I think it's just underpriced. Is how I think about it. Okay, so I, for me, like I get the liquidity NFT thing. Like for me, that's like you know he's a he's a comedian, and you bought his art, right? You 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 bought yeah. a joke basically but like so what what do ether rocks mean to you like do, do you do you see value do you, do you understand why they're going for how much they're going for i mean the main narrative is that it's it's one of the oldest um nfts it was um i think it was generated in 2017 and it's 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 like the perfect nft to show that you have a lot of money and um, you are okay with wasting that money. Um, and also, like, the irony that it's so useless is what makes it so, like, ironic. Um, and that's kind of created this, like, shelling point for people to um, drive up the price. And also, a lot of crypto influencers kind of bought the rock. Um, famous ones are probably Arthur Hayes, um justin sun bought it for sure and then also um other crypto influencers um acquired it which which really increased the price it's kind of like a watch right i mean uh boomer is that does that make any well, sense <laughs> no i i think i think it's interesting i think i think it's uh kinto is executing on a pretty intelligent coherent uh strategy where he's saying uh there's a value arbitrage between the crypto world who is NFT friendly and the non-crypto finance world, which he thinks will be more crypto friendly. And in part, as a part of his evidence, he would have this podcast and newsletter, right? This is the first branch or fork, if you want to call it a liquidity brand that involves people who are not liquidity. Um, and we have a pretty strong uh, point of view. I guess my, uh, you know, if you, you think about this in terms of, the art world, there are people who, there are famous artists, Banksy, and I would even argue Damien Hirst, the guy who put a, you know, decomposing shark in formaldehyde and yeah. sold it for $6 million. There are, there are some very famous, you know, contemporary artists who have made their entire living on the irony of what is art and what is not art. So art is always, uh, you know, it's always this world where, it's both a creation of a, of a work and then the commentary around art that takes place within art. So it's like this weird meta thing that's perfect for sort of a, a good crypto discussion. If we could switch gears a little bit, Kinto, I know you're uh, very involved with a particular stablecoin and stablecoins are an absolute fascination and endless discussion of topic between me and HAL 69K, some of it makes uh, our public-facing stuff. A lot of it uh, is, you know, just 
conversations we have individually. Let's talk about uh, stablecoins, what project you may be involved with and what you think uh, about Tether. Okay, so stablecoins are pretty like a large topic nowadays because there's there's like um, I would say there's like 50 to 100 types um, of stablecoins, but you could largely segment it into three three parts. There's fiat-backed stablecoins like Tether and USDC, which is basically a stablecoin that's backed by dollars in a bank. Um, this this is the most uh, popular one with market cap of um, total like uh, fiat-backed stablecoins is like $100 billion market cap, which is like more than 85% of the entire stablecoin market. So this is like the most biggest market and people trade Bitcoin or Ether or any other cryptocurrencies against fiat-backed stablecoins mostly. Um, so that's the first category. The second category is... Uh, Crypto cryptocurrency-backed stablecoins. Um, the most uh, famous one, popular one, is MakerDAO, which is basically you put ETH into a smart contract and you get DAI out of it, and DAI is basically pegged to dollar. Um, so this is like the second uh, famous, like popular type. Um, and the third one is called Algo stablecoin, which uh, pegs its price based on a preset algorithm and um, the supply and demand is basically um, based on that algo. And these tend to, so far, most of, a lot of them failed, like a lot. Like they failed tremendously. Um, yeah, like pretty, they pretty would lose peg, Like really bad. Like they would lose its peg and go to like 10 or 20 cents a dollar, which is like, which means that you lose 80 cents on the dollar. So complete failures. And then there's also some that are, you could say are relative success. I would say Terra and Frax are doing pretty well. They are at least keeping its pegs. But uh, there, there were situations where when the market uh, crashed, uh, their peg, they lost its peg. So that's like the three types. One of our theories is that uh, uh, the crypto is a little bit of a closed universe and that um, instead of people cashing out potential gains and turning it into U.S. dollars, they just keep it in stable coins. Um, and so once the money enters the ecosystem via Coinbase or Binance or Bitcoin, whatever it is, once the dollars or yen or whatever hard currency uh, enters the system, it doesn't come back out. It just migrates to sort of a stable coin. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reason mostly is that it's just you sell into stable coins because you think that the market is going to crash or you want to you need some liquidity or you want to do something in DeFi with it. Uh, so there's just no reason to withdraw to your bank. So you just kind of hold on to a stable coin. And when it's time to get back in, you sell the stable coin back to another crypto asset. Is it someone who's involved in crypto, who's trading crypto? At what point do you just say, no, I would actually like yen. I would actually like the US dollar. Um, almost like, like it's only like when I need like my living expenses that I actually cash out. And the other times I just hold it in stable coins or, or other crypto assets. And I would, I would, I could do some yield strategies like yield farming, and you could get very, you could get pretty high returns. You get like twenty five percent to thirty percent returns with very low risk. Um, so you would rather invest than you know cash out. Okay, right. and, and I, I also think that's like another thing that NFTs are starting to do. That's interesting is now, you know, now there's a you can go and buy art with your crypto without ever having to leave the ecosystem as well, right? Um, yeah, well, yeah, you so can buy art, yeah. 
So I'm I'm interested. I looked a little bit about um, what you were work are working on, which you have linked on your Twitter page, this UXD protocol. And correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but this falls into the um, re, the uh, algorithmic stable coins, right? Yes. Yes. Um, it's it's yeah. So tell, tell us a bit about that. And and uh, is is this something that you created, or is this a project you're working on with other? other people um like yeah, how, how old is it i i, I honestly um just heard about it uh through meeting you right uh so we're currently working on it uh with the team uh roughly four to six people are working on it um and basically it's an algo stable coin that's issued on solana and we use uh derivatives in the back end to create a, a delta neutral position and that position is basically um backs the stablecoin 100%. Um, we uh, have raised a C round, um, haven't announced it yet, but we'll announce soon. Um, and yeah, uh, pretty much I've been working on it for, the, I came up with the idea almost a year ago. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been working on it since then. So is this something that is running right now in Solana? So like, can I go on there and buy some of this token? Uh, no, not yet, no. Uh, okay, Testnet so will be out in September. This is something that'll be launching soon. Yes. Cool, cool. That's awesome. Um, that's exciting. I mean, that you know, part of the other things that we're, we're so into here at FootCons is like, uh, getting to know the developers and hear what the developers are working on and stuff. Because, you know, that that our, our biggest thesis that, you know, makes us not really like Dogecoin um, is that there's, you know, no one working on it doing cool things where as, you know, at the Ethereum ecosystem, Solana, um, Polygon, all the, you know, all these different ecosystems are emerging where people are building things on top of them. Yeah, uh, I think quite a few people are building stuff. I mean, since last year, last summer, um, DeFi kind of took off and um, started on, on Ethereum, but now it's expanding into other chains, Solana, Avalanche. Uh, and yeah, a lot of people start to build. I would say Solana I, is getting a lot of traction. Right. I have a question for you then. Why Why did you choose Solana? I um, So I basically applied for a grant for, to the Solana Foundation and they accepted. And um, you know, I, I looked into how it works. Um, and it, it has a very interesting uh, structure for the blockchain. Basically, it, it, it basically scales at the physical limit. So you could make like very low transaction fees with very like fast, uh, extremely fast. And this is not possible on like other chains. Um, right, so, so it's, it's, it's faster, faster and um, cheaper than using Ethereum. Yeah, and like it's 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 like much more faster. Like like there were other chains that like pitched like oh we're faster, cheaper than Ethereum, but like Solana is like is at the limit basically. So like it's almost I would say it's impossible for another change to kind of beat Solana on 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 fees and on on speed, which makes it right. like a very interesting. And like I'm... it also scales on chain, which is like a different way of scaling compared to Ethereum. Um, and so like, it comes with these trade-offs, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and, uh, it's a very different type of, uh, chain compared to like, say, Avalanche. Right. And I, I think one thing that a lot of people are missing that's been going on in the DeFi space is that 
you know, people have built bridges, right, from Solana to Ethereum. So it's not like it's not like we're in this world where it's like you only only use Ethereum or only use Solana. Like, you know, you can you can go back and forth between them. There is a right. There's a fee you'd have to pay to get across the bridge. Um, but to me, yeah. I just think that that is where the power is, um, because, it you know, it, it means that you have this interconnectedness rather than, you know, so there there is competition. But then there's also, yeah. you know, this collaboration going on at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Like interoperability is something that like a lot of people are starting to work on. Um, there's not yet like this one really good interoperability protocol. But there's uh, quite a few people who are working on that. Once that's um, set up, um, I would expect like these chains to coexist and the chains will be used for like different purposes is how I imagine how it would evolve. Right. Well, I think I'm going to have to go and put some funds over onto Solana and start playing around with it. Um, I have, I've now gone over to Polygon. That was my first um, move. And then just about a week ago, I moved over some funds over to Avalanche to test it out and uh, got really lucky that everything rallied right after I did that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I have two questions for you. The first one is, what do you think about Cardano? They said they're about to launch smart contract September 7th. Are you are you long that? Are you short that? Um, I mean, they always kind of delay their launch for smart contract. I, I, like, Cardano is very difficult. Like, no one really knows what Cardano is doing. But since they don't have a lot, they haven't even launched a product and they're already like, a hundred billion dollar project, people are kind of skeptical, uh, myself included. Yeah. And like they, yeah, it's just like the way they did marketing. Um, they promise a lot of things. They, they write a lot of papers, but they don't really uh, have like some kind of functioning app, uh, makes most of the people in the community kind of skeptical and, um, I mean, once they launch a smart contract. Wait a minute, I, I gotta stop you there. Hold, hold on. Okay, so this is a boomer question. So just apologies for that up front. You're telling me that <laughs> you're telling me this thing has like a what sixty seventy billion dollar valuation. They don't even have a product in beta yet. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, just for all the sort of boomer type people who are sort of learning about crypto, just just walk me through how the fuck that happens and how do I take advantage of that? Well, yeah, okay, so basically like how it happened is that there's this, I, I wouldn't call him charismatic but someone who's very good at marketing called you know charles hoskinson who uh basically like travels around the world and pitches a project to as many people as possible and he he promises like this very good like really good chain um that will be better than ethereum basically um and you know he writes a lot of papers he hires a lot of you know phds and stuff like that and just basically just promises like you know everything but they don't they don't yet launch and then but then they've already issued a token and people buy the token based on that promise and so i mean if you want to take advantage of it you should like launch your own 
project. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, okay, I guess I just need to get on an airplane and run around and, and you know, maybe maybe yeah, get a PhD. My, or... my favorite part is he yeah. does these like he does these like weekly or whatever updates on YouTube where he's in like I swear I mean it's not exactly this but I swear it's like a turtleneck sweater and he's like sitting down in front of a fireplace and he's like. You know the blockchain of the future is here today. <laughs> yesterday is yeah. you know, yesterday is tomorrow's. Okay, today. so 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 I'm getting this vibe, Hal, from both you and Kinto, that this is sort of the cool professor kind of vibe, like the guy you had in college who you know you put a lot of faith into, the guy who you uh, you know taught you some new stuff or whatever, but then you graduated and got into the real world and realized that maybe that guy wasn't so brilliant. <laughs> yeah. yeah I like, yeah. something like that. Yeah. I mean, if you look at its fashion sense, I mean, it, it, it's really like, it's like in the 80s, it's like in the eighties or something. I don't, I don't know why he dresses like that, but. Um, <laughs> I, probably, I, I, exactly so that, probably exactly so that people like you will make comments like that. And the more, the, the, that's, yeah. that's the thing is they, they say there's no such thing as negative publicity. I mean, I don't know if it's yeah. true or not, but uh but one, I, mean, yes. one, I guess one of my questions would be like DeFi is all about, you know, it's sort of a, a it's a, it, the thing that attracts me to DeFi is this, it's transnational democracies that are getting formed on the internet, which I think is fantastic. And um, one of the things though I think that, that is a commonality that runs through DeFi space is a little bit of distrust towards regular institutions. And I would think yeah. that Cardano might, if it's, if it's sort of a, you know, PhD place it might uh, face some negative reaction from you know hardcore DeFi people can can you see that when it, if it ever launches a product yeah i mean there's there's already a, a, a lot of skepticism among the DeFi community um so i i mean I, I don't know how they're gonna market it um yeah i mean people are very skeptical about the whole project um so yeah it's kind of i don't know how what their plan is to be honest i mean that's why a lot of people think that the whole plan is to keep on promising and never launch right and yeah, then yeah. they can sell out the token that's the and best that's what like, the most price to go up right yeah <laughs> well yeah, yeah. So, i i think i think this is an obvious um buy the rumor sell the fact play um i you know personally i'm long ada right now with a small amount of like yolo funds I plan on selling that like at at launch or the day before launch or something like that. Um, who knows if if their smart contracts go live and they're useful, we'll know because we'll be able to use them. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also plan on using them actually when they when they launch. I mean, I'm just curious. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's 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 our you know our thesis here, right? Is usability. So, like the the second those smart contracts launch, I'm I'm going and I'm going to go and move funds over and use them, and I'm going to pay attention to all the projects that are building on them. And you know, if the ecosystem develops, then you know whatever we made fun of this guy because of the way he dresses and his charisma, and it turns out he was a genius. Um, we'll find out, right? <laughs> but until yeah, there's yeah, a product. Yeah. Until the, there's a product, um, I look around and I see so many different DeFi projects that are usable that I can actually go in and use. And so for me, that's where I, you know, I'm spending my time and energy, uh, it, not just on, uh, you know, wishful thinking. <laughs> so yeah, the uh, second yeah. question I was going to ask you now that we, um, you know, put Cardano to bed, um, <laughs> 
Do, do you know a lot about Arbitrum? Oh, I'm not really familiar with Arbitrum, to be honest. Okay, well, we don't have um, to that's get a roll, too... That's a roll-up. Yeah. Okay. Right. We don't have to get too too deep into it, but this is another um, thing that should be launching soon that is, is promising, you know, faster, um, cheaper transactions. But there will be no token involved with it. It'll just be a layer on top of Ethereum. Um, but as far as developers that I've talked to that work on Ethereum, uh, they have told me that they're really excited about Arbitrum and are planning. They have projects that they've been building, um, you know, on, on side chains that they're as like a beta that they're ready to launch on Arbitrum. So, um, again, that's another thing where I'm just, I'll look at it, I'll go and use it. And, um, hopefully yeah. it's something cool. I'm not, I'm certainly not like, rooting. My it understanding, against, but... I mean, Ethereum Ethereum like plans on scaling on layer twos. Um, same as Bitcoin. Bitcoin scales uh, through Lightning Network, um, and then Solana just doesn't scale like that. Solana scales uh, on chain, and so that's that's a big difference. But uh, a lot the people in the Ethereum community are very excited about Arbitrum and other uh, roll up, um, you know, layer two strategies uh, because it, it's like the way that they're going to scale. And if if this doesn't work out. Then they're stuck at, um, I think it's, uh, you know, very high gas fees. Kinto, I have a question for you. What, uh, yeah, the top, t- top 10 by market cap right now, uh, cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. What do you, you know, if you look at, say, the, the 10 DAO components or virtually all the DAO components of a hundred years ago, none of them are still around. Some of them are still around in a different form because they got broken up for antitrust purposes, but. Um, you know, crypto is obviously, it's new to some of us, not new to others, but, uh, of the top 10 currently by market yeah. cap, which do you think won't be a, a thing or, or will not be in the top 10? Let's take it first a year from now, five years from now and 10 years from now. Okay. So let's start with a year. Um, hmm. I would say, so num- I think Polkadot would not be in, in top 10 right now. I'm looking I, I at was, Qu- Qu- I was going to say the Look- same thing. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us why. I, yeah. Tell us why. So Polkadot also um, doesn't, they, they, they haven't yet released their main net. And so um, there's not much you can do on Polkadot. And their marketing is basically interpolability between chains but they don't really have like this working product yet and they have also pro- they have also been promising this for a very long time um the founder is very famous uh gavin wood he uh was part of ethereum um so he's very famous but uh they haven't really promised anything and it, it's also very popular in asia and asia tends to be popular like a uh, scammy project tends to be popular in asia including um, including ADA. Um, and so like, it, it just has this negative connotation to it. Um, so that's, I think that's the reason for, uh, so, thinking so, that Polkadot's not going to be here in a year. And they also like recently went up to like top 10. So, so I, you think, I, you think Doge is still going to be in the top 10 a year from now? Um, so, so top 10, I mean, uh, in, in a year, I think so. I think Doge is likely to be top, uh, top 10, uh, in a year, maybe five years. I don't know in a 10 years, but like Doge is like this very old coin that's been around for a very long time. Um, 
and 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 it's like this meme coin that people will always come come back to, and like it, it just makes it has like very long like it's a last it, it's kind of like just like proved itself as a meme coin as the selling point for a meme coin, um and so I, I I'm much more bullish on Dogecoin than on Polkadot. Wow, that's that's interesting to me. So a lot of the, I've kind of the space I occupy is I've talked to a lot of institutional folks, folks that has firms, you know, and the one thing they keep coming back to me with regarding uh, cryptocurrency is I want to be a participant. I think there's uh, a lot to, and these guys have gone beyond, let's say, you know, the Gen Z, this is what Bitcoin is explainer thing. Um, and so they understand the blockchain basics. They understand that Bitcoin is, is a fixed supply. They understand Ether is deflationary somewhat, all of that. But the thing they keep coming back to, and the reason why they're not doing allocations is because of Doge. And uh-huh. they say to me, they say to me, you know, as long as there's, as long as there's a picture of a dog worth, <laughs> and they don't even, they, they don't, they don't even say multiple billions of dollars. No. Just, they just they just say they just say has any value, let alone in the top ten. As long as that's taking place, I'm going to sit on the sidelines. And so um, that's the, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to drill down on on, on those. It's like it's like, it, it's like the game stock uh, phenomenon, I would say. Like, yeah, and to me, game, was- GameStop feels unsustainable in the sense that. That's a real company with real earnings that really has to report to the SEC what it's up to. And, um, it's, you know, it's a proxy for how people are feeling. I think retail investors are feeling about risk. If they, you know, have some extra money, they maybe pile into it. Um, yeah, but th- that's the thing that Doge doesn't have. Um, and, and the case for Doge still exists. We explored it on our, our last podcast, which is that. You know, in the internet bubble, when things would sort of disappear from uh, the radar screen, there was a CEO who had to, like, move out of his office because they couldn't pay rent or whatever. That's not true with Doge. He's going to just stay out there for forever. GameStop really does have a CEO. GameStop really does have a balance sheet. GameStop really can, you know, the price of the stock, you can still have an incredibly high share price. But if you can't generate earnings and revenue, I'm not sure that, that – I just think it's a little a little bit different, but I agree with you that it's being used uh, as that proxy um, sort of currently. So in ten yeah. years, give us give us give us ten years. Okay, okay. So one thing like that makes me bearish of Dogecoin in the next five years, ten years is NFTs because so Dogecoin before NFTs, Dogecoin was this selling point right. for it's meme tokens. Meme. Yeah. yeah, but now that we have the actual meme tokens, which are NFTs. Um, it, it, there's less of a reason for Doge to exist. Um, there are like pictures of uh, Doge that um, sold for like uh, millions of dollars recently, and they fractionalized the token, um, and then people can buy the token. Anyone can buy the token, and it, at one point it reached a hundred million. So that like one NFT reached a hundred million dollars in value, and it's it's literally just a picture of Doge. Um, and so like, I expect like these kind, kind of NFTs to replace Doge is how I think over the next five years, 10 years. Yeah, see, when, I, 
when I when I'm at like when I look at this and I'm thinking ten years, like I just turn into a Bitcoin maximalist again, and I'm just like all <laughs> all of them are gone except for Bitcoin. Like I, I and not not necessarily because I think that's what's going to happen, but just like if you were to you know put put a gun to my head and like make me bet everything on this right now, that would be the only thing that in my mind would be a safe bet. Yeah, I think Bitcoin. I mean, given that like every time Bitcoin goes up, other tokens go up. Bitcoin goes down, every token, other token goes down, kind of just shows how much weight Bitcoin has. And if Bitcoin fails for any reason, I think most of the coins are like, yeah, 99% of the tokens were, are dead, basically. Yeah, yeah. I also, I also think that, it, you know, what we were talking about earlier, it's like people take, um, take their profits into stable coins or whatever. And you're talking about how, how these, these yield opportunities showing up. Well, you know, everyone is also recognizing that Bitcoin's the, the sort of more stable crypto within the crypto sphere. And so not, you know, if they want to stay exposed to the space, but not have as much risk, then then Bitcoin is that sort of like, um, you know, risk off or, or, you know, Boomer knows like the right term for it, but it's your... It's, it's, a, def- it's a defensive, it's a defensive risk position. So you want exposure to an asset, but you don't really want an exposure to an asset. It's like selling, it's like buying the, the it's the picks and shovels around a gold rush. So you don't want to bet whether or not there's actually gold in the ground. You want to be selling picks and shovels to the guys betting that there's gold on the ground. Because the guys selling picks and shovels pretty much always win. Whereas the guys betting on the gold uh, often are wrong. So I think Bitcoin, ironically, is both the gold and the picks and the shovels at the same time, if that makes sense, for the first time that we've sort of ever seen. Um, but yeah. uh, can, also- can I ask you, can, can, can we take a step back here? I just want to get to know, know you a little bit better. Um, first, how old are you? I am uh, 29. 29. And so what do you do for a living, like broadly? I mean, we're not trying to, you know, get to uh <laughs> one of the things yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, I just do crypto stuff um i mean i'm now like the uh, i'm funded so I, I get a salary from it um i've been doing crypto stuff for like four years now okay and so when you came into the crypto space where did you leave it from okay so i so i first started in, in finance and banking um and then i worked there for like three years i did sales and I also did trading. Um, and then after that, I actually uh, played poker professionally for a living. Um, and then I went into crypto. Okay, so tell me, a lot of people, they, I've always been surprised by this because I hate gambling. Um, but there's there's a, there's a, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of traders love going to Vegas, right? And, yeah. um, and a lot of them love, there was this, you know, uh, Rintech, those guys, the early quants. Oh, really yeah. Loved blackjack there were big blackjack guys they you know how to beat blackjack was their big thing um and then you've got sort of uh, a cross section i think it's more texas hold'em friendly which would be sort of the venn diagram overlap might be with bitcoin maximalist but to, to tell us about what it was like to play uh poker professionally yeah i mean i i played poker like a lot when i was in university online um so i had like experience playing poker uh, and then basically, I just traveled around the world, basically Las Vegas, I went to London, uh, South Korea, Spain, and I just kind of went to the casinos and just played poker and like made a living kind of. Where'd you stay when you went to Vegas? What's your favorite place in Vegas? 
Um, I stayed in the Bellagio, but I liked, uh, shit, I forgot the name. I mean, I played in the Bellagio quite often. Um, yeah, I, I like the Bellagio, yeah. Yeah. I like Cosmopolitan. It's the only place I can like sort of stand in Vegas. Uh, I, it's just a very <laughs> sort of disorienting uh, place to me. It's so uh, sales and trading. Did, did did you did you find that boring, or did you were you just like yeah. I want something better? I, yeah, I just found it boring at one point. Like I, I realized, like, well, I was working at a Japanese bank, and basically, like, you know, um, I, I I just didn't really like the culture, and also. Um, there wasn't like, it was like a market making, mostly it was market making. There were some right. propositions, but I, I felt like, um, I didn't have an edge in it. And also like my coworkers didn't have an edge. And I realized like, okay, if I stay here in like five years, like, you know, high frequency traders or, you know, algo traders are going to take over and I'm going to be obsolete and I didn't want to be part of it anymore. And I decided to quit. It's probably a good choice, uh, you know, given the fact that a lot of flow traders have been displaced by, by computers. Yeah. Uh, so where do you see yourself, um, in sort of five years with this, 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 let's say that the stable coin thing does not work out for you. Will you continue on in crypto? Yeah, I'll probably be in crypto. Um, given that like crypto doesn't completely fail. Um, I will like invest my money in crypto. So um, that's what, been going what I'm doing right it, now. So, what would it take? We've, we've I, I've almost gotten to the point where um, I've gotten past that initial hurdle of you know it's just all you know tulip mania. <laughs> so you say yeah. unless crypto fails or whatever, what would be a condition or what would be the catalyst for quote unquote crypto to fail? What do you think would have to happen? for everyone to abandon this asset class who's been working very hard to make it a thing and just say, you know what, this is, too, it's too far gone. We're out of here. Uh, it's hard. I mean, I could think of several scenarios. I mean, I guess one is quantum computing. Um, I mean, there are like ways to mitigate that risk, but um, that's one concern I would say. Another is basically just the, the most obvious one is regulation. Um, if, if governments, uh, coordinate like an attack against cryptocurrencies and they coordinate like the U S Euro, China, Japan, Russia, they all say, okay, like enough of this, you know, we should just get rid of it. And so like, they say like, okay, anyone who holds trade, sell trades or, or transfers Bitcoin will, will be fined or put in jail or something like that, that would, that would really harm the ecosystem. Um, and might lead to, I don't think it'll go to zero, but it might just be like it, it, Bitcoin goes down so much that, um, people just like kind of lose interest and it becomes like this fringe thing. So basically it kind of goes back to the place where it was in 2018. Well, even, even worse than 2018. Yeah. Like even worse than 2018, like, like 2013, 2014 ish, like one Bitcoin yeah, trading around like a few hundred dollars, something like that. Yeah, I think the uh, the Chinese and the Russians and everyone else coming to agree on anything, let alone banning crypto or jailing crypto adopters, is a pretty low low probability uh, event. Um, so, yeah. uh, what uh, what questions do you have for? Do you have any questions for us? Yeah, um, how did you 
guys get into crypto or like what's your perspective on like when you first started getting interested in crypto and what motivated you to kind of start this podcast oh sure. uh to, yeah you want me to go first on the how i absolutely so yeah um I, I i would say like the very first memory that like i have strongly in my head about bitcoin was uh, you know 11 years ago or 10 years ago what it was one of my friends was um, buying and selling marijuana from this dealer in Canada, yeah. and I think he, I think he moved like ninety thousand dollars worth of funds through the Bitcoin network. Um, and of course, at the time, I like uh, you know Facebook like had just turned into like the college version of MySpace or whatever. Um, and I, you know, I was like, that's the only thing I was really paying attention to investment wise. And like on the IPO, I bought that instead of Bitcoin. And like, I ended up doubling my money a year or two later and like was happy about it. But uh, of course, like we all know what happened with Bitcoin. Um, so I, you know, without buying any, I followed it for four or five years. I was really interested in it from like the technology perspective. I'm a, I have a background in physics and coding. Um, so immediately, like I knew that the blockchain was a cool thing. Like I read the Bitcoin white paper and I was just like, yeah, this thing's not going away. I didn't, I didn't expect it to go, uh, to where it is so quickly. I I remember, I remember when it got to $3,000 and like some people started texting me and be like, Hey, you talk, you're talking about Bitcoin all the time. Do you own any? And I'm like, no, maybe I should, huh? (laughs) So yeah, I mean, that, that was it for me. And then, and then I really, really, um, just started getting into crypto because of all the stuff going on inside of the DeFi space and, um, you know, the stuff being developed on top of Ethereum, uh, like, like your, your nut finance and MakerDAO and those things just got me really interested in, in, in diving into the space. Mine's a little bit different. Sure. I maybe, you know, most of the people, it feels like to me who got into crypto are very similar story to how 69 K they are knowledgeable about computers and, um, they are, you know, see the upside case, right? See the upside case. Yeah. I got into crypto cause I was angry. And I think like I may be against, one of the, against like the government, you mean? No, I, I, I can't stand the personalities of the Bitcoin maximalists, a few of the Bitcoin maximalists. I mean, uh, Dan Held is blocking me on at least four Twitter accounts. Um, and so I, I just wanted to get in here and find something that was not what Dan Held liked that was worth more than what Dan Held was pushing. And so I started having conversations with how 69K have done for 11 years, phenomenal trader, phenomenal mind. Um, not the kind of guy who, who, who makes career changes lightly. And so when he was transitioning out of his quant price and, and in crypto, then that's been the sort of origin of my, my journey in crypto was I hate this guy so much. <laughs> Hal 69K, please show me the value in crypto. And then of course, he shows me DeFi and I'm like, yeah, oh, I think I, I think I sent you like almost 24 hours of recorded like voice messages, like talking yep. about all the different protocols. And yeah, I'm sure there was one that was talking about algorithmic stable coins. Yeah, no, so it, 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 I only had first row at first rate education through how, but, but what got me here in the first place was hatred. 
So I think that <laughs> I think that makes me a little bit unusual. I mean, and yeah, I mean, the Bitcoin maximalists are not like well known for being nice people, and they're not really like the best people to start getting into crypto, to be honest. Um, so it, it yeah, they really happens. hurt their own cause. I mean, I was not an active participant <laughs> uh, financially because of these people, right? It's not like they, yeah. you know, I finally they, after after his, you know fourth appearance on CNBC or something, I finally, you know, got behind Pomp or something like that. It was more like, yeah. oh, wow. I, I, I'm at the moment very concerned on a transnational global basis about the the health of democracies. And uh, I think the Bitcoin maxis have a very authoritarian type leaning. And, um, you know, decentralized finance is is the building of transnational De- democracies online. It's interesting. I mean, I, I bet through your stablecoin, you're working with people you've never even met, and um, yeah. you know, you're, you're participating in processes and governance with people you've never even met in different countries. But one of the things you all agree upon, and I know there's some, you know, there's forks around this. That's why, why there are forks. There's some, you know, emotional stuff or whatever. But creating democracies is very sloppy. It's hard. It's difficult work, and. What House of United Case showed me through various discords and the whole DeFi world is something wonderful. And I think this should be celebrated. I hate, you know, rare boomer take or whatever. Uh, let me sound so hippie about it, but any place where there's a thriving sense of respect others' views and let's make this thing better and let's do it in a democratic way, I think should be fully embraced, support, not fully embraced. It should be financed, supported, and paraded around as an example of how the world can do business together in a transnational global democracy way. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, DeFi is much more collaborative and democratic than Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin is much more, as you said, authoritarian. Authoritarian, Um, yeah, yeah, authoritarian. Authoritarian, yeah. Yeah. just because, like, you know, it's hard to make changes in the Bitcoin code base, which um, then makes it, you know, that only a few devs can commit code. Um, and there's, like, this, you know, top-down culture. Whereas um, other chains and other DeFi protocols, it's much more open. And since it's, like, much more young, it, uh, people can contribute uh, more and, you know, new opinions are embraced. <laughs> So uh, let me ask you this question, and then we'll get into our lightning round. We're kind of reaching the end of our time. Um, but uh, uh, let me ask you this question. Is there a price where the Bitcoin gets to that you kind of look around or, you know, Bitcoin and an associated group of DeFi coins or whatnot, that they've reached sort of maximum value and you're just like, give me my yen back and I'm yeah. wealthy and I'm going home? And if so... What is that price as reference against U.S. dollars and Bitcoin? Yeah, um, I'm probably going to say a number that's like probably lower than what I think will uh, end up. But I think it's going to be like at least a million. So one million per Bitcoin. Okay. One million. Um, Yeah. You you know, this case, I was going to say like when we were talking about the top 10 cryptos or whatever, like in my opinion, like, you know, 10 years from now, it's going to be. Like, you know, maybe Bitcoin, but then USD coin, yen coin, euro coin. Like, those are going to be the top cryptos, in my opinion. Yeah, like CBDCs, when they come out, should be big, at least. Yeah, for sure. 
Now, yours um, truly I, is a little bit of a skeptic about the 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 Chinese financial regulators. I'm not sure. I think they're you know talking a big game and and sort of the funny thing is you know the the they call it the yen right the renminbi um, the some people call it yuan is pegged to the yeah, dollar. Yuan. Yeah, so the, the, it's pegged yeah, to the dollar. Yeah, it's soft right? pegged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I th- they, I think it's soft pegged or something like that. Like it's it's allowed to fluctuate around a band or something. That's, yeah, and it and it, it, it traders have tried to push that band. Like uh, nobody's yeah. been successful. Like they did with the Swiss franc that was soft pegged to the to the euro that took out nine billion dollars worth of a hedge fund called Everest Funds. Um, but. Uh, yeah, no, I'm very skeptical of whatever China's sort of saying, just because they, you know, I don't. Yeah. The day, that, the day that you know you're close to geographical proximity to China, you probably have some friends in China. I, the day that you want to give up your Japanese passport for a Chinese passport is when I'll start taking China really seriously, you know. But until that time, I've never seen someone exchange a U.S., a Japanese, uh, a German a Swiss, whatever, you know, I've never seen someone from a democratic country uh, be like, yeah, no, I would, I would rather have a Chinese passport than a fill in the blank Japanese, you know, uh, U.S. German passport. And it, until that happened, that's a, like my Dogecoin for the institutional investors. As soon as I see someone who's like, you know, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a U.S. citizen anymore. I want to move to China because China it's better. I will take the Chinese a little bit more seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I think like like the the democracy in China is not as well developed as this economy. Um, I think the, their economy is like growing very quickly, um, and so I, I think there there could be a situation where you know it's like a really big economically, but just not that you know democratic. Yeah, no, I, I definitely definitely so. So on to our lightning round. We'll just play a word association game. And you can you can respond with whatever just immediately pops into your head. So, hodl. Bitcoin. Okay. Um, stock to flow model. Bitcoin. Okay. <laughs> uh, tether. Uh, not scam. Is that okay? Well, yeah, that's no, fine. That's fine okay. answer. Yeah, okay. no, that's okay. Um Oil. Uh, we'll go lower. The U.S. equities market, as measured by the S&P 500. Higher. The Nikkei. Uh, higher, but less bullish than S&P. Okay, that concludes our, our our word association game. It's not that long, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, it was just, very random. I thought you were going to keep going with Bitcoin for oil. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll, we'll wrap the formal part up up here. So Kinto, thank you so much for joining us on on the Foot Guns podcast on August twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. We'll be back later next week and we'll do this all over again. 